This week, I sat down with Bob Shared, the founder of Fresh Britain, who has been at the heart of some of the most transformative brand stories in the world. Bob has a truly remarkable career from rejuvenating world-class brands like Levi's and Dr. Martin's to advising political powerhouses in India. His journey is truly a testament to the power of brand design. From running ultra-high marathons to reimagining advertising campaigns, Bob's journey is a really inspiring one. And to be honest, that's a word that's overused in our circles. You hear or read about someone's career and you think, yeah, that's probably clever marketing spin or positioning. And look, I've interviewed hundreds of agency leaders over the years. Bob is every bit as impressive as I heard that he he would be. Uh, And you'll hear that in the interview. We discuss everything from the skills and perspectives behind brand design that can be a catalyst for solving global challenges across all industries, how Bob's immersive approach, including actually running ultra-high marathons, reshapes our understanding of brand influence and its profound impact on everything from politics to private equity. This is honestly one of the best conversations I've had all year. I think you're going to enjoy it as well. So this is old, this is new. This is Influence. Bob Shared, welcome to This is Influence. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's really lovely to be on board. Um, one of the first things I did was, was, was marry the right person. So I became the co-founder of Fresh Britain and <laughs> run it today with, 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 with my wife. She's the uh, brains of the operation and I'm merely the front of house eye candy. <laughs> so much of success comes down to choosing the right life partner, right? Totally. Totally. All of it. Let's start with a quote that that we found in preparation for this, actually. So you said, quote, the skill and perspective needed to build brands are exactly the ones that you need to help you solve the world's biggest problems. Explain. Um, They're some of the ones. So I I think there are things we learn in redesigning brands that can be deployed to helping look and solve some of the world's problems. So in order to start to solve some of those problems, you, you have to understand the puzzle. And when we've worked with brands in the past, a, a, a good example is when we've worked with um, brands that are geographically based. So for example, we work with a country, a state, and their challenge is how do we um, take what is a relatively inefficient asset and create value from it um, because when one of us dies, uh, we have the situation of death duties and we have to either sell a painting, sell a farm or sell a child into a rich marriage and we don't want to do that. How do we how do, we do that? And we, we were able to help them not see their asset as a piece of geography, um, as something that's geographic, but help them see their asset as something that's symbolic from which they then can create value from. And so understanding the difference between how to look at things can help us look at problems in the world in the same way. So if you take um, a problem in the world today, um, like the Putin, um, then there are ways in which... Yeah. So if you look at him, very, very much driven by ego, and his sense of power is geographic. Um, and to be a bigger world power, he kind of, his sense is I have to have a bigger geography, hence the invasion of uh, Crimea and, and the Ukraine. 
And what he's failing to see is actually there's three types of power. There is economic, symbolic, and geographic. And so you could conceive using that insight as a means in which we could um, talk to Putin about sort of maybe you should shift away from the geographic and more to the economic and symbolic. Economically, the, the West is paying for a war at the moment. We could use the funds that are being used there, redirect them to pay for oil and gas at a premium and pay for Russians oil and ga- Russia's oil and gas at a premium um, so that there's an economic solution whereby he becomes literally the nation that powers the West. In return for that economic solution, the premium is then diverted into the modernization um, of Russia. And then what we've done is we've given him a symbolic solution. So Russian oil and gas powers the West, and we've shifted Putin from a a world power to the world power, the nation that powers the world. And so what we've given Putin is an out, so that in Russian history, he's seen as turning Russia into the world power. We've managed to use the premiums on the oil and gas to help him modernize and transform Russia. And we've helped him move Russia to be the guy that moves Russia from where it is to being led towards freedom and democracy. And his ego is satiated, but there's a cost to that because what we're able then to say to him is, look, um, the West needs power, but any power that we get in oil and gas must be secure, it must be democratic, and it must come from somewhere that's free. So that means that you must transition towards freedom and democracy, you must also exit and you must also abandon your economic, uh, your sorry, your geographic power in favor of the economic and symbolic power we're giving to you. So you have to get out of the Ukraine, you have to get out of the Crimea. So what you're doing effectively is asking Putin to trade geographic power for symbolic and economic power. And then the West in return gets peace, it ends the war, it liberates Ukraine, it secures oil and gas, stabilizes Russia, it gets the regime change. And how you've done it, you've just done it through the power of Metabor by changing them from a world power to the power that powers the world. And that's a means in which you can lean into his ego using a, a brand solution or a metaphoric solution. Let, let's stay on this idea of how brand design can help solve some of the world's biggest problems and, and turn our attention to uh the environmental potential catastrophe that we are kind of slowly work, walking into or or even indeed ai which is something that is topical uh, and that some people a lot of people are saying it's going to be the end of humanity other people are saying actually it's uh humanity's greatest unlock what perspective do you have on how brand design can help change the narrative towards the climate crisis or indeed towards AI, two big topical subjects at the moment? Climate crisis is, is, is really interesting because um, when you look at it, the climate crisis doesn't respect any borders at all. It's global by its very nature. And um, what we have is 195 global nations on Earth trying to manage in a disintegrated way the climate crisis. So when you unwrap that, that's 195 countries. That's probably 5,000 different politicians when you add up all the ministers of each of those countries in a disintegrated way trying to manage something that doesn't respect borders. 
and all of those countries are at varying levels of maturity in terms of industrial and technological development, etc. And so as a citizen of the world, I have no democratic lever to pull in terms of deciding who's going to manage that crisis that, that's so adversely affecting our lives. So there's no vote I can place to say, okay, I want that person to manage the crisis for me on my behalf. And so when we have no democratic lever to pull, our only democratic expression is how we spend our money. So how we spend our money on the goods and service that we get services that we spend them on are our only means of us trying to help solve the climate crisis. So the consumption choices I make, I want to make them in such a way that they have minimal impact on climate change and actually have a better and positive impact in terms of reversing climate change. So I have to buy the change I want to see. So the way I consume is the only way I can create that change. And then all of a sudden it brings into focus how important brands are in communicating the impact that their products have and that their brands have in a positive way and not a negative way. So you can see how brand design then becomes very, very important when it gets aggregated to 7 billion people making consumption choices, making sure they make the right choices is the way we can help solve uh, the climate crisis, not through trying to do it through 195 disintegrated uh, nations and countries. Let's stay on brand design for a moment, because even if we were to come up with a unified strategy on how we sort of integrate 195 different countries, we still, that message still needs to get out there and it still needs to grab the attention of decision makers, policymakers, the, the public at large. Um, how the biggest challenge in my mind today is that brands are struggling to get their message heard in a really saturated, oversaturated market. And, you know, selfishly, I'm thinking about, well, how do we help our clients do that with the content that we create? You know, every content creator, every brand is struggling to get their message out there at the moment. What advice do you have on, for brands on how to navigate such a saturated market? And, you know, as, especially as it pertains to content creators. Yeah. So basically, um, trying to navigate change. Um, and differentiation in a, in a saturated market, there, there are sort of dynamic things at play. So you've got the consumer post-COVID um, that wants you to make them feel they belong, make them feel valued, make them feel relevant. You've got the impact of influencers on brand content, and that means you've got to build into there the room for co-creation of product content, brand content, communication, You've got the rise of impact as a dynamic in content creation. So I think there's a shift away from storytelling and a shift towards story doing, which is driving changes in storytelling. So you're delivering narratives of moral as well as market purpose, communal as well as um, individual gain. And then you've got the digital sphere, which exists to change brands from almost uh, uh, corporate entities to to media entities where they're using content to create community that then um, will generate commerce. So how do you navigate those dynamic patterns of change? Um, the only way you can do it is by understanding 
who your brand is. It's like when you're faced with a child that's being bombarded with all this information and change and you're trying to advise them as to what's the best way of understanding this so that you're not um, shifted inordinately every day. It's through understanding who you are. So understanding who your brand is is the way you navigate that change and the way you build content. And the right way to do that is understand who your brand is but what your lens is. So a great brand that um, taught us all how to do this was Rafa. And the founder of Rafa was Simon Mottram. And he said, look, my brand, Rafa, was in road cycling, but it wasn't road cycling. The brand was pain. The brand was the glory of suffering. Um, so every bit of content that I do that enables me to navigate the changes in consumer and influencer and impact in digital is the consistency is always knowing that my brand lens is pain. And so understanding that's really important. And then all your content gets driven through that addictive component. So people get addicted to the glory of suffering. They keep consuming that content. And as they're consuming their content, they're generating community in this community that generates commerce. Back to the lead to your into your question, which was how can we use brand design to help um, make the case in terms of the world's problems? We worked with uh, Generation Growth Equity, which was Al Gore's private equity fund based out in California and London. And, we, and Al Gore tended to talk about um, the responsibility of uh, companies to address climate change and that it was in the future. And we were able to help them change that narrative by changing the brand design and narrative design around it and say, look, go into a room and tell everyone it's their responsibility. You're not going to get the room. Go into the room and tell them it's uh, 8 billion people on one planet is the biggest economic opportunity of our lifetime. And decarbonization is the biggest economic opportunity and investment opportunity of our lifetime. Then you've changed responsibility into opportunity but then root that not in the future, make it active by rooting it in the present by saying the biggest killer on the planet um, is pollution. Then you've, you've changed the you've changed the um, the entire dynamic from being responsibility to being opportunity to placing it for somewhere in the in the in the future to placing it in the right now. And that's a way in which you can help drive changes in narrative and understanding. The conversation around climate change is a really interesting one because it's very politicized on both sides. Um, it almost feels as though, you know, there's a lot of fake news surrounding the legitimacy of, of whether or not, you know, we're actually, you know, to what extent climate change is even happening. Uh, I personally believe that it, that it is, but there's a lot of uh, news to the, to the contrary. And it almost feels as though the people that, are really important now in our world are, th are those people that know how to influence human beings and, and, and decision-making. And it almost feels as though ethically as a marketer and a behavioral scientist and a brand builder, we almost need to make sure that we're on the right side of history and choose, you know, the right horse that we should, we should, should be backing. H how much thought have you been, have you put into the power and the influence that, marketers have and brand builders have and how they should be wielding that power for for good ultimately yeah i mean the first part of the of, of it is 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 what what do the climate deniers think is the um 
is is the reason. Have we all just left our heating on by accident? What is the reason for and everything? Left, and left on? the window it's open. Not, yeah, it's not global warming. Um, secondly, um, we can't underestimate the power of um, brands, just the very material power of brands. Any good or service is a brand. Any brand spends between 5 to 10% of its revenue on communication and brand building. So if you look at that, the, you know, the, an, an, a national economy is the sum of its goods and services. So there's between 5 and 10% of actual um, monetary value that can be deployed for good or bad. But that money's there for, for, for winning. Um, in terms of um, how we exercise our responsibility as brand builders, we very much believe at Fresh Britain that there is a shift um, from storytelling towards story doing. And why do we believe that? Is we, we believe that for brands to survive in the future, they have to uh, be, they have to care about what Generation Z cares about because in the near future, Generation Z will be the strongest economic cohort. And Generation Z cares about the fact the planet's going to shit and no one's doing anything about it. So Generation Z will be the generation that wants to buy products for whom the impact of that product has a more communal effect than just a direct effect on the person that's buying it. So they'll want to buy a product that doesn't move to zero, it starts at zero and improves. They'll want to buy a product that has stronger moral purpose than just market purpose, stronger communal gain as opposed to just commercial gain. And they'll want their... Um, brands to uh, story tell within the context of story doing. They will look back at the way we created our brand meaning and purpose and ask how we fell for it. I can show you Chesterfield advertising from the 1950s that has Ronald Reagan telling the world he's going to send cancer sticks to his family and friends for Christmas. I can show you advertising in the 70s where Marlboro Man is selling character but actually he's selling cancer. I can show you the sort of um, sexualization of the advertising in from Calvin Klein in the 90s. No one got a body like Marky Mark. No one ended up with K-Moss, but we still went and bought. We fell for the lifestyle. And we can see the commoditization of likes and followers through um, the Kardashians now. And I think future generations are going to look at our generation and say, how did you fall for that? Because it was just vacuous meaningless communication that was almost nihilistic in that it didn't create anything positive and they're going to demand change so i think we're going to see a shift from communication to impact and we're going to see a shift where storytelling sits within the context of story doing what i mean is that you won't have storytelling that creates a fake lifestyle you know that we know Neymar is getting paid the multi-million dollar Nike contract. We can see through that now. That doesn't make the shoe any better or the impact of the shoe any better. It makes Neymar richer and it doesn't give us anything. And so I think we're going to see a shift to that. And, and, and we recognize that responsibility and we're making um, significant strides to build impact strategies and designing impact strategies for brands to use instead of advertising strategies. So, so let's dig deeper into those impact 
strategies and almost extract some universal principles for us to sort of take back to our own brands because you've worked on brands from anywhere from you know luxury brands agriculture political campaigns which i think is fascinating we'll you know we'll come on to that in, in a moment but from all of the experiences that you've had over your career are there any universal principles of brand design that you apply across sector no matter which decision makers or audiences that you're targeting is are there any principles that you keep going back to time and time again absolutely yeah and and it comes back to a, a very simple observation that ceos of companies don't wake up in the morning and think i need more positioning today or i need more personality today or i need more purpose today the ceos of businesses they wake up and they think i need more revenue i need more profit i need more value and those are universal economic principles that exist irrespective of your sector. And to accommodate those um, and support those principles, there are universal brand design principles. So first of those is positioning. If you get the positioning right for any brand in any sector, it's really powerful because you can almost win the battle without firing a shot, without the big ad campaign. And in a positioning, you need to understand your your brand world, you need to understand your brand authority, you need to understand the reason to believe in your brand, that you need to understand what you are as good at the competition are at, and you need to understand what you're better than, your points of parity, your points of difference. If we get the positioning right, we can recruit more people to the product and the brand. That generates turnover. The task then is to keep them with us, to create a serial and episodic relationship with the brand so they move through core products and beyond and into non-core products. And you keep them there if they're addicted to your brand personality. And that's the function of the brand's role. Uh, the emotional effect we're designing for the brand, which is the catharsis. The charisma we're designing into the brand, which is what the brand stands for and what the st brand stands against. The connection to our needs, which are the rational values. The connection to our wants, which are our emotional values. And then three really important things, which are the time you own in the life of the, brand, of the consumer, the rituals you own, and the place that you own. All those things brought together give you the personality. To get them right and integrated and aligned, your brand becomes really addictive, and people keep coming back to you for more product from non-core to core, and that makes you much more profitable. You've acquired them with your positioning, and then you've generated a long-term relationship, meaningful relationship with them with your personality. Then the third section is your purpose, understanding your brand lens, your brand vision, your brand mission, your communal and your individual purpose and your market and your moral purpose. And that creates value. That's why people stay with you. It creates your future. It demonstrates your ambition. Um, and those three things are the three universal things that are geared to why a CEO wakes up. So your positioning is what he needs in terms of she needs in terms of um, generating uh turnover, personality in terms of generating profit, and then purpose in terms of generating value. Those are the universal things. It's the content that you use to populate those structures that are unique to the sector or the brand that you're in. Can we talk about how those three principles apply in two different contexts? One, to the political campaign that you're involved with in the Indian general elections recently. It's a fascinating example. I'd, I'd love to, to talk a little bit more about that. And can we also apply that to a, a brand uh, example or, or, or campaign that comes to mind? There are, there are a few notable ones that um, 
are on my list, but I'll, I'll let you choose which one to, to share with us. Um, in terms of the um, work that we did with um, the Indian National Congress, um, it was interesting because we were um, we were brought into that project by the chairman of Louis Vuitton or LVMH in Asia, who was an Indian and a donor into the Indian National Congress, and we were asked um, to help frame a narrative there um and one of the things which is um really critical is understanding the central truth to the sector that you're in and the sector that india was in was it was it's basically um the opposition were hindu nationalists um under the bjp uh party uh, by modi and the truth that we were able to unearth uh, is we did an analysis of the world's religions and we looked at basically all of the world's religions and there's a basic narrative about getting from the bottom to the top of the mountain. You either do that through the teachings of Allah, the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of Abraham or the teachings of Buddha, but ultimately you get to the top of the mountain and at the top of the mountain you either get paradise, everlasting life, uh, enlightenment or whatever it is depending on <laughs> all the religions. Um but that, what they all have in common is theirs is the way up the mountain until you get to Hinduism. And Hinduism says that, look, we don't care what religion you choose. The point is you get to the top of the mountain. It's the one religion that teaches religious tolerance around the world. So it's kind of oxymoronic that uh, Modi and the BJP have created Hindu nationalism. So India was conceived for all Indians, not just Hindus. And he's managed to create this divide and conquer strategy. Um, so we were able to sort of help shift the narrative um, for the Indian National Congress um, that it became the brand of all India for all Indians. And hopefully time will tell. It's a long-term strategy. But the kind of interesting part of it is is it becomes a bit like battleships. You know, you don't have to be on the sea to know where to deploy your um, your resources. You just have to understand the narratives that are at play. Um to be able to deploy one narrative against the other. The, the kind of interesting dynamic now um, in politics is, you know, a general election is just basically a massive pitch. You know, we've, we've, we've won over 250 brands in our career, which means we've won over 250 pitches. So we know how to pitch. Um, it, conversely, it means we've been fired 249 times as well. But <laughs> That's, a, that's but, another story. But, yeah, that's the flip side of that. But in politics, in, in, a, in, a, in a general election, what tends to happen is it's a giant pitch. And politics deals in the rational, it deals in the factual, it deals in managing how we think, and it has no vision because it's just a four-year cycle. When we're doing a brand pitch, we're absolutely dealing with the emotional, we're dealing with beliefs, we're dealing with feelings, and we're absolutely creating a vision. Um, and so what we try and do is help any of our political clients thinking those terms, shift them from the rational to the emotional, from the factual to, to a belief system, try and make people feel as well as think and try and present it within the context of a vision. And the sad proof point of it working was not one of our clients, but it was the way Trump beat Hillary. So Hillary spoke in facts. She talked about a glass ceiling. She talked in a political Harvard-based prose and she made us think but what Trump did is he communicated in terms of beliefs 
He talked about draining the swamp. Um, he talked in nursery rhymes that people could understand. And he made more people feel than she made think. And so it just shows you that you can deploy a, a brand means of, of, of pitching versus a political means of pitching, and it can change the course of a nation's history. So um, I think the way I'd like to see those things going now in terms of brand terms, it's really, you know, we, we've seen in the last five years how influencers have changed brands. And what that's meant we've had to do when we're building our brand strategies is build wriggle room for co-creation. First 20 years of my life, I was building a fixed architecture. Do not step outside. All the solutions are in the brand architecture. But now we've had to create a kind of um, wriggle room to enable the co-creation of products, the co-creation of communication, the co-creative content with influencers. And last year, we did a Brand Britain um, conference um, in London with Central St. Martins and, and Monocle. And in the audience, we had students, we had brands, we had private equity. And the big learning there was that people didn't want to be sold a fixed architecture by politicians. They wanted to belong to a kind of a fluid garden out of which they could create. So what we're trying to teach our political clients at the moment is rather than try and sell in your general elections a fixed architecture, start to think about your policy making in terms of a fluid garden that can include people. And one of the best examples of that, um, so think about it in terms of cathedral thinking. You know, we're advocating that those who, for those who can't advocate today for their future tomorrow. So cathedral thinking is about building something that we may never see finished it will benefit, benefit people in the tomorrow. Um, if you look at it in terms of sports, the Atlanta Olympics, we won one medal. And then came the National Lottery, which is a political policy. After the National Lottery, um, which invested into sport, we've won 44 gold medals alone in cycling. You know, we're taking for granted that we've got three medals already in the World Championships and in the athletics. That, none of that would have happened without lottery funding. So lottery funding is an example of where you can create policy that's a, a fluid garden where um, it creates wider holds of knowledge, wider holds of experience and intelligence that future generations can benefit from. And I'd like to see politics move towards that. And I only got there through understanding how influencers are changing the architecture of brands. So kind of interesting. I, I definitely love your experience in in politics and, and the Indian um, political party that you shared with us. What example comes to mind from a brand perspective as to sort of how you're using those three principles to reshape the story or a narrative of a brand? I mean, there are so many that you can call on over 250, as you just said. Some some of my favorites are Levi's and, and Dr. Martin's, but I'll, I'll let you choose which one is the best to share with us. Yeah, I mean, the, Levi's is a kind of interesting uh, example because it's very personal because I... Um, I started my career um, buying and selling vintage denim um, and selling it in Camden and Portobello Road and selling the vintage pieces back to Levi's. Um, and then when we got Fresh Britain going, I got a call to create something for Levi's, which is uh, is now called Levi's Made, um, Levi's Made and Crafted, which is about 12% of their global sales. So that was quite a nice sort of thing because the reason was because when I sold the vintage to them, they liked me and um, they paid for my degree. So Levi sponsored my degree at the London College of Fashion. I did a, a degree in product design, which is where I met my wife, which was very 
important to me. And then um, we got the call about six, seven years ago from the president of Levi's um, in San Francisco. And his exact words were, can you come and unfuck Levi's? Um, <laughs> and, and so one of the things is what we are able to do is we're a bit like a someone outside of goldfish bowl that can see into the goldfish bowl. So a brand is often a goldfish that can't see its own water. They can't see how exceptional things are. And with Levi's, we were able to um, explain to them, look, you, what you're brilliant at designing is people's biographies. You're literally designing people's biographies through the medium of denim. So when I wear a pair of jeans through my life, um, it starts to make an accrued pattern that tells the story of my life, which is why that, that pair becomes my, the most loved object in my wardrobe. And you may think you're designing denim trousers, but you're actually designing the ability for people to express their character and their biography through denim. And that took us to a space that was, you may wear other people's jeans, but you live in Levi's. And then that became the Live in Levi's platform that helped them then get to a pretty decent IPO a couple of years later. Um, and so that, that was really uh, powerful for us. The other one that you mentioned, Dr. Martins, was... Uh, quite an interesting one because they were at 90 million um, in a double digit decline when we got involved. Um, and I had to sit in a room um, and say to the people in the board there and the designers is there's the one reason why this brand is famous is not because of anything anyone in this room's ever done. The reason why this brand is famous is because what people have done when they've worn the shoes and so you're laboring under the misapprehension that there's meaning in a 1460 black Dr. Martin's boot. There's no meaning in that shoe until someone wears it. And if I am a skinhead and I wear it, the meaning becomes right wing. If I'm a CND protester and I wear it, the meaning becomes left wing. If I'm a G12 protester and I wear it, the meaning becomes chaos. But if on the other side of the line, I'm a policeman, I'm wearing it, the meaning becomes order. If I'm a punk and I'm wearing it, it means anarchy. If I'm a nurse and I'm wearing it, it means care. So the, the shoe had no inherent meaning until someone wears it. So you, you need to stop imposing the brand's beliefs on the consumer, which is the Nike way, and you need to do the opposite, which say this shoe is a blank canvas. It's all about personal self-expression. So once they got their head around that, they were able to embark on a strategy of um, of, of um self-expression, irreverent self-expression, and rebellious self-expression, and that became the strategy that then eventually took them um, to a three billion flotation. Um, so, you know, just by deploying the idea of understanding the position of the brand, the personality of the brand and, and its purpose, and that's how we help get them there. Not taking credit for the three billion dollar uh, flotation, but we are taking credit for turning them in the right mm. direction. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely incredible. I, I love the both examples from such varying disparate places, you know, p political campaigns and how you create an, an ideology and a personality that reshapes the narrative around politics and a political party all the way to selling, imbuing value in jeans or uh, a pair of shoes. I, I, think, I think the philosophy is, is super exciting. I'm going to end with a couple of my favorite questions. What advice would you give a young person or millennial on how best to structure their career if they were to start their career in brand design? I'd look at three ways. I'd look at um, 
I'd look, I think that they need to think of their gar, their, 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 their career as something that's fluid um, and their life that's something that's fluid. It's a bit like we're talking about the garden before. Um, what impact does their choices have on wider holes of their own knowledge, their own experience, their own intelligence, and others' knowledge, experience, intelligence? And try and keep it fluid. Don't try and close things. I'd like them to think about their knowledge. Don't hold on to their knowledge. Let it flow freely. If you hold on to something, it tends to stagnate. Um, so let it flow free, as freely as possible. We're doing that. We're, we're creating an initiative at Fresh Britain where we're going to open source all our knowledge um, so that can help people starting on the road to brand design so that we kind of create a knowledge base that all the boats can ride rise on that tide. And the other thing is to remember that we don't own ideas. They're not our ideas. I really believe an idea lands on you, and if you don't use it, it'll move on to someone else. So remember to <laughs> use ideas, because if you don't, they'll move to somebody else. They're their own single entity. Um, and so I would think, you know, you know, think sort of, I always, I always say to them, you know, draw a circle and, and write in the circle um, everything that you love. Um, and then do another circle next to it that intersects and put in there, ask your mates to put everything that you're good at. And then where there's an intersection, that's where you, you should follow. But don't try and structure your career so much. Don't have a fixed idea of what you want to achieve by when, because you won't do it. Just have an idea of how you're going to approach it. So thinking of your life as a, as, as a, as, as a, a series of choices that make wider holes of knowledge, experience, and intelligence that letting your knowledge flow free, freely, don't hold on to it, let, give it to other people. Um, and remember that ideas are there to be used and, and activated. That if you don't use them, they'll just move on to someone else. Bob, so many questions that I, I want to ask you. We're going to have to invite you back on the show because the time constraint that we have, it just doesn't allow for the questions that I want to ask. But my final question, what is it you know about brand design and helping to grow brands either political brands or retail brands, what do you know now that you wish you knew right at the beginning of your career? That when I engage with a project, we learn as much as our client. It's an iterative process. They, they think they're coming to us because of our knowledge and our wisdom and our experience. Um, but we have to have the humility also to recognize that we learn a huge amount because it's always a new brand, a new product and a new sector. And all of that, you know, has a, has a really profound effect on giving us these unique transversal viewpoints. When you ask the question about the universal principles that exist across sectors, you can start to see those. Um, and, and just, yeah, just, just, just a, through collaboration, through curiosity and through vision that you can, you can really make a difference. Um, and uh, as my mum used to say to me, um, which is probably not typified by this conversation, you, you have two ears and one mouth and you should <laughs> discourse in that proportion. <laughs> Doesn't work when it comes to an interview podcast, though, <laughs> Mom. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, Bob, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. This is Influence is a production of Bridge Growth, the B2B podcasting agency for enterprise brands. I could not produce this show without our crack staff here at Bridge. Sarah Spence is our booker. Christoph Braschek is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Annie Barber. You've been listening to This Is Influence. Influence.